Hi, and welcome to Build 'em Up, where we hear from great people building the health and well-being of rural and remote communities right around Australia. This Build 'em Up podcast is proudly supported by NBN. I'm Claire from the National Rural Health Alliance, and in episode eight, we're heading to the remote community of Yarrabah in far north Queensland to one of the first Aboriginal community-controlled health services. And joining me is special guest host, Dr. Jen Beer, a proud Darlow woman who is NBN's Head of Health and Education for Regional and Remote. Welcome, Jen, and I know you feel privileged to know and work with our guests, so please do the honours. Thanks, Claire, and I'd like to start by acknowledging the traditional owners on the lands on which I'm on today, which is the Boonarung people of the Kulin Nation. And today we'll be talking to Sue Andrews, the CEO of the Gurney Yilamaka Health Service and Director of Clinical Services, Dr Jason King. Thank you so much to you both for your time today. My pleasure. And Sue, we might start with you. Could you tell us a bit about the Yarrabah community and the services that the Gurney Clinic have provided the communities for just over 30 years? Uh, yes, so uh, first of all, I just want to acknowledge country, the Kungangi people of Yarrabah, the traditional custodians. Um, uh, I, I'm Sue Andrews. I'm a, I'm a uh, Bunabai Jaru woman from the northwest Kimberleys, living in Yarrabah. I have grew up and uh, lived in Yarrabah for some time. Uh, Guruni Yilamaka Health Service is a uh, community control health service uh, based in Yarrabah. Uh, Yarrabah is a population, you know, depending on what data source you're using, ABS data 2016, around 2,700. Uh, however, we have more um, more of those patient numbers on our patient records. And Guruni is a uh, comprehensive primary health care service that delivers um, all things primary health care. Thank you. And Dr Jason, I love the way the clinic really thinks about health in a different way and that it's not just about the person's physical or mental health, it's also about uh, their spiritual and cultural health and also the health of country. And um, I'd just love you to tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, first, uh, um, as Susan, I'd like to acknowledge the country that I'm, I live on at the moment, which is Jabbergai country here in uh, Cairns, far north Queensland. And I have the privilege of working on uh, Mungandji country over there in Yarrabah uh, every day of the week. So um, I'm a Ewood Noongar man from uh, just north of Perth and have worked in Sue's country before, back over in uh, Western Australia for some time and now over here in far north Queensland. Yeah, thanks, Jen. Look, the... The model of care really um, expands on what we understand from a, a general practice perspective of what primary care means, and it, in, it encompasses those notions of health that we inherit from our elders and the community that we work for. Uh, and as a community-controlled health organisation, we're really driven by those notions of health and those inherited values. And so thinking about biopsychosocial, but beyond that into the spiritual cultural health, the health of country as well, and uh, as a, uh, also thinking of other elements of social health like uh, financial health and legal health increasingly as we become more aware of that impact on people's day-to-day lives and how that impacts their health choices as well. So how does that manifest, Dr Jason, in terms of spiritual cultural health? How, does that, how do you picture that in somebody's mind? As a, um, as, a, as a visitor to Yarrabah, it's about taking time to understand the community and its history, 
what the spiritual makeup of a community is. And every community is very different. And I think that's an important uh, fact to really remind ourselves of when we're talking about Aboriginal health. Mm. Uh, you know, every community, every, you know, cultural group, tribal group is very different. Language is very different, for example, um, and you know, customs and law. So, but with spirituality, you know, understanding Yarraba and Yarraba is a very spiritual place. It's, uh, there's a, a strong presence from uh, different church bodies there as well as traditional spirituality as well, which informs people's worldview in a way that is very, for, for, for more Western uh, perspectives, is sometimes hard to understand because it impacts their, their choices and their framework for choices as well. And so taking the time to understand that and really orientating your mind to that community is absolutely essential if you're going to be an effective health service and an effective clinician within that community, I think. It's a really important message and I think it's something that applies to, um, to all country um, across Australia and it's, um, and it's great to see that in action. And I'd love to hear more about the, um, the number of community members that you service. And I understand that you, um, you do see your patients um, you know, a number of times um, in a year. So could you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, so um, as Sue mentioned, the various data sources, and this is an important factor when we're talking about Aboriginal health, is where you get your data from. At, at the national level, data often misses uh, a large part of the picture. But um, we, since uh, transitioning to a digital health solution, have been really focused on making sure that we, we accurately record how we interact with community so that we can collect data. And, you know, that, that, that old saying in, in information systems of garbage in, garbage out, we really want to make sure that we're getting quality data in. And so yeah. our patient record system um, records 3,500 regular patients to our service, and that uses the AIHW definition, uh, which is three visits inside two years to, to the service. But we know that our patients see us uh, specifically to the GPs over seven times in a, in a calendar year, which is around about double the national average. Now, that doesn't paint the entire picture because when are we talking about our model of care, we're not talking about a GP-centric model of care. Although the GPs are an important part of that picture, we're also talking about Aboriginal health workers. We're talking about, uh, you know, uh, uh, social and emotional wellbeing workers, nurses. We're talking about allied health staff and specialists um, and men's and women's health uh, teams as well as youth engagement teams. So every one of these sources of engagement in the community interacts and records that information in our system. And so seven visits to the GP is supported by countless other visits inside that year for every single one of those three and a half thousand people. And so our reach into the community becomes so much more rich, it becomes so much more powerful and allows us to be able to engage on a really genuine level with the community via culturally safe brokerage. I think this idea of cultural brokerage is really central to that. So we're not sitting here in, you know, in an ivory tower dictating health messaging. We're really consulting with community. We're making sure our messaging is on point from a content perspective, but also the pitch and you know, the scope of that message is, is delivered through local and Aboriginal sources. And you mentioned, I think it's such an important point around health information and the role that um, the clinical systems play in being able to really deliver um, not only um, improved care, but also team-based care and a consistency, um, particularly with some of the complex conditions that um, some of the community members face. And I think you were one of the early adopters um, of digital um, back in 
2014. And so, Sue, it'd be great to hear from you about some of the main drivers uh, that were behind that decision to go digital. Um, and even if you've got some stories a little bit about the um, some of the telehealth that you're doing over satellite with the specialists. So um, I, I guess I'll go back a bit more. So over 25 years, years ago, um, the concept of this uh, community control health service, you know, uh, the, the elders in the community were thinking about and talking about. They got the idea from, you know, um, the Redfern Aboriginal Medical Service and the um, the Broome Medical Medical um, Aboriginal Service about what is this community control concept. And um, and and back then they talked about. Uh, back then we had all the um, I don't know if you remember we had all the suicides in Yarrabah, and uh, we develop you know we developed programs around suicide prevention and what have you. So we were doing a whole lot of social emotional well being support in Yarrabah. And then, um, then we morphed into a, um, a clinical service. Uh, and, and that's when we started to think about, well, you know, to collect the data and all of that, we needed a, a digital, um, I guess, a patient system. And, um, back in 2014, when we transitioned to community control, whereby the service transitioned from a government entity to a, uh, Aboriginal community control entity back then, um, we thought about things like, um, I guess, uh, patient, uh, patient safety, you know, and compromising patient care because there were two sorts of, um, patient systems. There were the paper system, uh, you know, the paper, paper system by the government. And then Girani had the digital, went into the digital system. Um, so we, we needed to make sure that we weren't compromising patient care. Hence why we moved to the, um, the digital system as well. And, um, and Dr. Jason, um, would you mind sharing a bit about, uh, I think you do a lot of telehealth out of mm. the clinic at the moment with some specialists um, around Cairns and Brizzy and Townsville as well. Could you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, so um, like a lot of Aboriginal community controlled clinics and particularly remote clinics, we do rely on telehealth. Access to healthcare is one of the largest barriers um, for Aboriginal people. And the more remote you go, the more that barrier exists. And so... Um, from the very beginning, um, Yarrabah and Gurney Health Service has has been an advocate for for telehealth access to specialists. Um, at the at the forefront of that, I think, is um, developing the partnerships with these providers and, and understanding, say, from a Queensland health perspective, you know, who can provide these services. Not all services are appropriate for telehealth, and I think that's we're in a unique position in Yarrabah and that we are relatively close to a, a large population centre and, a, and, a, and a, a tertiary hospital, I suppose. And so um, while, you know, gold standard care is face-to-face -face care, and I think we need to always keep that in mind, but where that's not available, um, then we need to select out the patients. First of all, the patients and the service have to match. And so our our telehealth service has grown significantly, I think, and everybody would be aware of this since the beginning of 2020. With restrictions from COVID-19, um, we've really had to innovate and look at how we can shape our service to increase our capacity to, to supply uh, access via telehealth. And that's been a fantastic uh, learning experience as well as some great outcomes. Um, and I think it really relies on a, a good model at the back end as well. And I think uh, it's, it's important to know that telehealth is can be an intensive process um, in terms of supporting patients to get to those services so it requires you know these robust uh, health information systems in the background to actually come to fruition I think and as Sue has mentioned patient safety um, has been really 
you know, from my perspective and my role is, is central to that is, is looking after the risk for patients and making sure that we don't put them in harm's way and getting someone safely to an appointment is part of that, making sure the information is flowing in both directions and that so when the, when the telehealth happens, it can be efficient, it can be rich and it can have some meaningful output at the end for that patient and for the clinician at the other end. Then our own, then our systems take over from there, and we hopefully have a, you know, we have these, you know, really robust recall systems and teams of care around a patient to make sure that that follow up isn't left to drift in the ether until the next six month review. And that really is a big factor in remote services. I think is um, bringing in the time frame of care so that decision making and affecting care is really the is at the forefront of your mind so it's not just getting them to the, the review it's it's following up after that and that's where we come in and how difficult has been has it been for um, increasing sort of the digital literacy of the of the workforce itself as well to deliver that care yeah look i think um one of the things that uh it's to understand is in that um evolution of the health service from a queensland health-based service to a hybrid model between Queensland and community control and now to completely community control is that we inherited um, health workers who had been working within Queensland Health who have always used telehealth as part of the thing. So they have a really, uh, health workers have a really um, solid understanding and an appreciation for the importance of telehealth. And it does require constantly building on though because technology, as we know, rapidly evolves and, um, and patient complexity is also something that they need to be across. And so... Um, the safety mechanism there is to make sure that we have, you know, really broad teams that are surrounding the patient at all times and that the health worker works in a way like a concierge to that health. They can bring the patient to those various other health access points, I guess you could call it. Um, and then those conversations can go around you know, at the table. So case conferencing is a really large part of what we do to make sure that these, um, you know, these decisions that are made by external services can be brought into effect and contextualised to the local you know, need as well. Not all decisions from a specialist are going to be the right decision for that patient. We need to, as primary health, um, be able to, again, contextualise it, to put it into a cultural framework and to, an effect, to affect that care at the end of the day based upon our knowledge because whilst you know, a specialist might see you once or twice a year, as I said, they come and see us you know, seven plus times a year. So we have to really lean into that and make sure that we're, we're advocating primarily for that patient's needs as well. And, and I think the use of, of concierge is a really great way to describe it as well and being that trusted um, advisor in the community. And um, from um, from what you've told me before, Sue, um, the Guruni Clinic really is that trusted source of information and also the advocate in the community. So, you know, um, relaying information to the Chief Health Officer, etc. Um, would you mind telling us a bit more about that? So one of the things that uh, our board had endorsed was a health worker-centric uh, policy. So health worker first when you come in to see Guruni. Um, and 70% uh, of our staff at Guruni are local, local community people from the community working in Guruni, you know. And I always say, I always say, Gurney works because of all our local mob working working at Gurney. Um, they've got that real deadly engagement with community. They know everybody. Um, you know, people trust them because they're part of the community as well. So they're that conduit between our, uh, I guess, our clinical team, our social team, um, when it comes to that community engagement. So it's really important to have uh, this these local mob in in, in the workforce because uh, they're part of making 
the health service evolve. And they've got a vested interest to really support the health of their community members because a lot of them would be family, friends um, as well. And maybe just to, um, to finish off, we'd love to hear from both of you around um, your journeys um, in health and sort of what got you into health and what makes you passionate. So, um, so we might start with you. So um, I, I think it was by accident that I fell into health, although, you know, my parents and my uncles and aunts have always worked in the health area, whether it was just talking about this community control concept, whether it's uh, working in social emotional well-being, there's a big history of that in, in, in my family. Um, I'm, I'm more, I've, I've got more of a finance background. <laughs> Um, and, you know, I, I, I decided to come back home to Yarraba to live after being away for a little while. And, um, and, uh, and I saw this, you know, this opportunity came up to work at Gurney and it was first as a finance person. And then, you know, the CEO position became available. And I thought, yeah, you know, I'd, I'd like to do that job. Um, because I could see firsthand on the ground how health evolved in, in Yarraba and in Gurney. And, you know, and we get that opportunity to make that happen as well. So I guess, um, yeah, you know, you could say I've got an invested interest in, in, in the health service because it's my community, my mob, and I want to make sure that we're around forever delivering good service to the people of Yarrabah. What a great story. And Dr Jason? Yeah, so um, uh, two of my aunties are nurses. One's an EN who works in our, uh, near our hometown in a place called Mora, just north of Perth. And one of my other aunties, she, she was the head nurse at Geraldton Regional Aboriginal Medical Service for a long, long time. Um, before all that, I th- or before I really had any awareness of what that meant, I think um, I was a young kid who who went around with my mum to doctor's appointments. She unfortunately was diagnosed in the late 70s with diabetes and later kidney disease. So anyway, I was, would go from doctor's appointment to doctor's appointment with my mum and as I got older, I got to see how they spoke to my mum. And um, as a teenage boy growing up in, in uh, you know, country Western Australia, um, I got very angry about that with the way they spoke to her and the way they ignored her and what she said to them. And so um, maybe egotistically, I'm not sure, I just thought maybe I could do a better job than that one day. And originally I wanted to become a physiotherapist because I was into sport. I was playing, you know, lots and lots of sport as a young teenager. And But then um, I had a conversation one day after year 12 um, and they said, well, have you thought of doing medicine? And I said, look, I don't know, I'll talk to my aunties. And I spoke to my aunties and, they, and my mum and they said, yeah, you should do it. So I... It's been a long journey, but I got there in the end. And I think um, for me, uh, health is something that I feel is within, it's it's part of our family. It's part of generations of work to try and um, improve the health of our mob. And I think that for me is something that I hold as a passion of mine. I feel like every part of my day revolves around thinking about this because um, there's so much work to do. And what I have an appreciation from my grandmother in particular and my aunties is that it's a long game, though. We have to make sustainable incremental changes to be able to build on piece by piece, having good structure behind that. Um, my dad's side of the family, they're non-Aboriginal. My dad, was he, he worked in IT and telecommunications. So from his side of the family, I, I have this um, really great um, appreciation for data systems and, um, and for structure and, and algorithms and things like that. So... I bring those two things together and I think that's how I try and approach health uh, when, I'm, when we're working on the systems at Gurney and Yarraba and how we meld people with technology, I think, is for me um, the great launch pad for improvement, I think, is if you can get the two things to talk together, 
They allow conversations at both ends between the clinician and the patient to be really meaningful and empowered. It cuts down on a lot of the inefficiencies that older systems of care inherited over time. You know, the, the Western medical system evolved in, you know, that the, the 19th century and it hasn't really in many respects evolved beyond that. But I think technology and a community-controlled approach is the way forward for primary care. If more people understood how care was affected in a primary health centre like uh, community-controlled health, they would really see the benefits for this incredible wraparound service, this multidisciplinary uh, approach with all these different domains of health being addressed in one go. And I think uh, the more people understand that, the more I think they will understand Aboriginal people as well. And you can hear the passion and commitment that you both have, um, both to your professions, but also um, to the community. And I think that's just made such a such a difference. And also, I mean, you can see that with the level of trust that the community have um, in Gurney, um, but also that ongoing engagement. So you really are the ones that are helping drive that change um, in the community. And and I think, um, Sue, when you were speaking about, you know, Redfern being an inspiration for Gurini, I think it's really Gurini now who's going to be the inspiration for other clinics um, uh, across Australia. And so thank you so much um, for sharing your story um, with us. And we really look forward to hearing about um, the digital advances and um, how the community um, evolves over the next few years as well. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Thank you both. And thank you, Dr. Jen, for also being a guest host for us on Build 'em Up today. I think it's time to come together and be the spark. Let's be the spark and build them up from the ground up. Don't lose heart and don't lose touch. Build them up to stay in the fight. Gotta keep the hope in the country alive. And thank you for your support in talking up rural health across Australia. And our thanks, of course, to NBN, who are lifting digital connectivity and capability across rural, regional and remote communities. So if you like hearing upbeat, community-driven health stories, get your monthly build em up podcast by heading to ruralhealth.org.au forward slash build em up Tears from channels in the dust Along the lines of the cracks on a face Till the magpies sing